All right, kids, those of you who are pre-K through first grade, if you guys want to head toward Elevate, toward your children's church time, if you have a pre-K through first grader and this is one of your first times here and they would like to go to a children's church time, you can send them toward the uh, spotlight over there. In fact, if this is their first time to go, if you can go with them, that really helps our volunteers a lot and they can make a connection, put a face with a name. If you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 21, the first book of the, of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the middle of chapter 21 today as we continue, continue this study. The music that you just heard here, that celebration of Christmas through music, next Sunday morning, we're going to be able to do that together as a church as the uh, adult choir leads us in a time of worship as they sing for us and then we have a chance as a congregation to sing. If you're not able to be here next Sunday morning or you have family from other churches or they maybe work on Sunday morning and they would like to be a part of that, this Christmas musical will also happen on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So if you have friends or family that you know would enjoy something like this, Saturday night, 6 o'clock, and then the same exact uh, music and performance will be on Sunday morning at 10.30 during our worship service. This is a chance for us to worship together. And so I want you to know about that coming up next weekend as an opportunity. Thinking about the end of the service today, where we are right now, and then where we're going to try to go toward the end of our time, after we have a chance to study through Matthew chapter 21, at the end of the time today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we celebrate God's work in our life, as we remember what it is to trust in Jesus. And so we'll be able to take the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to stand up after that and sing a final song. After that final song, if you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've heard about Jesus before but I've never given my life to him. I've never trusted him. I've never been saved. As soon as we finish this morning, we stay up here at the front, and we would be honored to pray with you. Don't leave this place without talking to someone about your relationship with God. If you came in here and you just needed somebody to pray with you, don't leave this place without praying with someone, knowing that someone cares for you and is speaking into your life about what's going on. So we are up here at the front. We want to be able to do that for you. There's that guest card that you can use, whatever that looks like. We want you to take advantage of this. We, we come here not just to listen and take in, but we come here to respond to God's work. We hear that. We celebrate that through music. We see that through baptism. We see that in God's word. We don't just come to listen. We come to respond to God's work in our lives. And so we're going to seek to do that together this morning. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? 
And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared, pr- prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's take a minute to pray together, Emmaus, as we think about this scripture. Father, thank you for the gift of being able to gather like this. God, thank you for those who are able to listen online and connect that way. God, we know that it's so easy to get distracted. We think about a lot of things during the week. We have a lot of things going on. And it's easy to get distracted from what matters most. God, I pray that you would use something like this, like this music, time of prayer, time of studying scripture to refocus us on you. God, I pray that you would guard our hearts against pride. God, guard our hearts against the feeling of we just want to get through this or this isn't that important. God, we need to feel the weight of your word, of your glory, of what it means to respond to you. So God, do that work in our hearts individually. Do that for us as a church. And God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word in a fresh way and that we will be able to respond as we take the Lord's Supper and we sing together and we go from this place. So God, we give ourselves to you right now. We pray that this time would be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I don't know uh, how much you've done this before when you were in school, but there's a chance that whether it was high school or college, you might have given your professors or your teachers nicknames. I don't need to know those nicknames, but there's a good chance that you had some teachers in high school or you had some professors in college that everybody in class kind of knew what their nickname was, and you really probably didn't want the teacher necessarily to know the nickname that you gave them. But uh, we had a professor in seminary in New Orleans, and she was probably four foot eight, little bitty lady. She was, seemed like she was 80 then, so I don't know how old she is now. She was an older lady, little bitty lady, and he thought, oh, look at her. She must be such a pushover. Oh, no. Were we ever wrong? No. We called her the velvet brick. Um, so she looked soft and cuddly and, oh, look at her. And then you hit her, and you're like, whoa, that didn't go nearly the way that, that, that I expected. So this lady Man, she could put you in your place. She was a strong woman of faith, an incredible minister, an incredible professor, but you did not mess with her. And so she was known affectionately to us at seminary as the velvet brick. Okay, here's a thought. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And he's described as being meek and humble. Now the donkey, when he comes into Jerusalem, the donkey is a sign that he's coming as a king. It's a sign of royalty, but it's not a war horse. Jesus is coming in meek and humble. But don't miss this. Meek does not mean weak. And humble does not mean pushover. As Jesus comes in, people might have seen him coming humbly and meekly and thought, oh, we can just do whatever we want. But Jesus comes in a very different way. Matthew 21, verse 12. 
Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This may not be the idea you have in mind as the Sunday school Jesus or the picture of Jesus that you've seen on the wall at your grandparents' church. This, this might feel very different. What's going on here? Well, when it says that Jesus came into the temple, I want you to see a picture here. And I brought my trusty uh, laser, but my, oh, it just washes out. That's so sad. I'm going to shine it up here just to feel better about myself, but it's not going to wear. Uh, that's okay. I've got to go back to the red laser and get away from the green laser, so... We'll put that to the side. That was disappointing and embarrassing. But uh. Okay, so the way the temple area is set up, the building that's on the right side of the arrow, if you can see up there, that is what would be called the Holy of Holies. That's normally the area that we think about related to the temple. But, but the temple is also made up of a larger complex. And there's an area in the temple, that arrow is actually south of the main area, so there's this area to the south, this area of the court of the Gentiles, where anybody could go into this area. There were more, the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the more exclusive it became of who was able to go into those areas. And so out in this court of the Gentiles, though, there was all of this ruckus that, that was going on, and this is where Jesus is going into and beginning to confront the people at this point. But when you think of the temple, when you think of the temple, don't just think of this structure or this location in Jerusalem. There is a huge thread that goes through Scripture from beginning to end related to the temple. The creation in Genesis 1-2 to is the formation of a temple. It's a formation of an area where God is going to dwell in holiness with his people. And then sin comes in there and God has to deal with that. And so throughout the Old Testament, you get the tabernacle, and then the temple that is built. It's going to be a place of God's presence, of his holiness with his people, where his people can be made right with him and dwell with him. And then that's going to ultimately lead to Jesus, who is going to be the perfect temple of God. And then in the New Testament, the church is even referred to, not the building, but the gathering of believers is referred to as the temple of God. And it all points to the end in Revelation where you have the new creation that is established with perfect temple imagery. So temple, from the very first page of your Bible to the very last page of your Bible, is a picture of God's presence with his people. It's a picture of holiness. It's a picture of being made right with God. And sin is constantly coming in and trying to mess with that, which takes us back to verse 12 and makes sense of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. In Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of the Bible, God has to deal with sin by driving sin and those who are living in sin out of his temple, out of his garden. He continues to do that throughout Scripture. Sin and those living in sin can't stay in this area. They're constantly being driven out because this is a place of holiness. It's a place of coming into the presence of God. This is the purpose. What's the, going on here when it says that people were buying and selling and there's money changers? When people would come to the temple from far off, 
they would need to exchange currency to be able to pay their temple tax. This would be like if you came into the lobby at Emmaus and we had tables out there and we said you need to exchange your money for our special religious money so that you can put it in the offering plate when the offering comes around. Now we don't do that. We'll take it and however it comes, but uh, you don't have to exchange it. This was that type of idea, but also if you were coming from far off, you might not want to bring your sacrifice with you. You might want to purchase your sacrifice when you got to the temple area. So instead of bringing your birds or whatever sacrifice you were bringing, you would just wait until you got to the temple and you would buy it there. This is like when you go on vacation and you're trying to decide, do we buy the food and take it with us and try to keep it cold in the car? Or do we just wait till we get to our vacation destination and we buy the food when we get there? The people, a lot of times, would wait till they got to the temple and they would buy their sacrifice. They would purchase it there. The problem is something that was supposed to happen further away from this temple area and something that was supposed to be focused on holiness and getting the people to a place of sacrifice, it had become the main event. People were profiting for their own benefit. People had forgotten the purpose of the temple, and so Jesus has to come in, and he begins to purify it. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the cool thing. Last week, when Jesus came in, when we talked about Jesus coming into the city on the donkey, it tied back to Zechariah chapter 9. Well, guess what? This scene in verse 12 also ties back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14, there's a Bible verse that sits directly behind what Jesus is doing when he comes into Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, 21. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor someone doing monetary trade in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. There's a prophecy in Zechariah that when the day of the Lord comes, the traders, those money changers, will be driven out and the Messiah, the presence of God, the power of God will be set up in that place. Guess what? When Jesus comes in, that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 13. So Jesus comes in and he says to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The way this quote, these are, I'm going to show you the quotes in just a second, but it's a combination of a quote from Isaiah and a quote from Jeremiah. And the way these quotes are set up, it, it's intentional contrast. So house is meant to contrast with den. You think about a person's house, it's a place of hospitality, it's a place of openness, it's a place where people are drawn in. A den or a cave is a hideout. It's exclu exclusive. This is the He-Man Woman Haters Club. This is the idea of, this is the den where you protect your area. Strange and, and usually not good things happen here in your clubhouse, but a house is an open place, a hospitality where all are included. A house of prayer, prayer is trusting God to provide, saying, God, I trust you, I need you to provide this for me. Robbing is, I'll take it into my own hands and I'll get whatever I need. Do you see the contrast between prayer and robbing? 
In one place, it's a house where you're called in to trust God. The other place, it's this out-of-the-way exclusive area where you take matters into your own hands. Look at the quotes behind this so you can kind of get the big Old Testament picture. Isaiah chapter 56. God says, I will bring the foreign servants of the Lord. God's going to bring people from all nations, the foreign servants of the Lord, to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Then look at Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. Will you sin and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Do you see where Jesus has taken those two quotes from the Old Testament, and he's brought them together to tell the people, My house is to be a place of holiness, a place of prayer, a place of praise where you are responding to the work of God, and you're making it something completely different. There's a huge warning there in Jeremiah chapter 7. Be careful of a mentality that says, oh yeah, I'll be a part of the people of God, I'll be a part of church, I'll be connected to this, but let's be honest, I'm just going to continue to live however I want. That is a dangerous, deadly mentality to say, I'm going to come and experience the presence of God, and then I'm just going to do whatever I want. Jeremiah is calling the people to the carpet, and now Jesus is saying, this is not what my house is supposed to be about. Look at the next verse, verse 14. And so the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. In the Old Testament, when the temple is spoken about, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8, therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So the religious people who looked on the outside like they had it all together, they were beginning to keep people away from the presence of God, keep people away from the house of God. Jesus turns that around and he says, the people I want near me are those who are broken and hurting and desperately need me. Those are the people who are being drawn to me. The blind, the blind and the lame come to him in the temple. This would have been almost unthought of, unheard of, unimaginable, and he heals them. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? So these kids, this is why it's so cool having the preschoolers seen up here for us this morning. These kids are coming and they are celebrating and they're calling out Hosanna to the son of David. What are they doing here? They are repeating what they've heard the adults say in the previous verses. Kids learn to worship God by watching us by learning from us, by imitating us. This is why it's so important that when we gather for worship, when we gather for prayer, when we gather to praise God, that your kids see you participating. Because what are they learning about worship? They're learning about worship by watching you. 
And the other part of this is they learn about worship by watching us when we leave this place. Kids aren't dumb. They can pick up if you act one place at church and you act a different way when you're not at church. They, they understand these things. These kids in this situation have learned that Jesus has come, that this is a big deal, and so they are gathering to worship God. My family, speaking of my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my brothers, we are terrible, terrible, terrible seniors. Just unbelievably bad. I just constantly check my microphone during the music to make sure that it's not on because I'm so horrified that it's going to be on at some point and, and, and you'll hear me singing. We're terrible. But do you know what I remember as a little kid attending church? I remember my dad standing next to me with his hymnal open, singing to the Lord. I don't remember what was said. I couldn't tell you two sermons I heard as a kid growing up but I remember being there with my dad and I remember him participating. That stuck with me. That has shaped my life about what it looks like to praise the Lord. Now, here's something going on in these verses. The chief priests and the scribes see Jesus healing these people and they see the children worshiping and they are indignant. They are bothered. They're angry about what is happening here. They didn't mind the ruckus when it was profiting them. But now that people are getting healed and children are praising the Lord, they don't like what they're hearing. Hear me out on this next part because it's very important and I want to make sure I say it appropriately. What we are bothered by and what we put up with reveals what is going on in our hearts. What we are bothered by and what we put up with reveals what is going on in our hearts. These religious leaders were bothered by children singing and sick people being healed, but they put up with these money changers and all the ruckus and holiness was going on in the temple. Jesus is bothered by that, and he is going to put up all day with these kids singing and with people being healed. You know what will make life kind of messy? Kids and people that are broken and hurting in life. That will make life loud and messy and difficult. You know what Jesus celebrates? That. And what's he bothered by? People pretending to be religious but trying to profit themselves and build themselves up. He is bothered by that. Look at the next part that happens right after this. Jesus turns around and says, Have you never read... Now, this is a shot because, of course, they've read. They've memorized these verses. They know these verses, but they don't understand them. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you, O Lord, have prepared praise. These religious leaders misunderstood the purpose of the temple, and they misunderstood the meaning of Scripture. They misunderstood what God was going to do when he came. This phrase, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, it comes from Psalm chapter 8, which is this powerful celebration of this messianic psalm, the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus is celebrating this. Then in verse 17, leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. At this point in the story, and we're going to continue to get into it as we get in the new year, but the water is boiling hot. Because not only has Jesus come claiming to be a king, not only has he come as a prophet, but now he's come and he's messing with the temple. 
And this is ultimately what's going to be the difference maker when it comes to his crucifixion. And so now these religious leaders, their hearts are not soft about these little kids singing. Their hearts are angry, and they are ready to take down Jesus at this point. And we're going to see this clash as it begins to develop in coming weeks. But right now what I want us to do is I want us to slow down and think about what do these verses, 12 through 17, what are the kingdom connections to our lives? What, what are these verses saying to us? First off, we need to think about the coming of Jesus here, what it looks like for Jesus to come and, and to impact our lives. Jesus' coming is to fulfill the purpose of the temple. He is coming as the one who will be the sacrifice, who will deal with sin himself as he gives his life. And he's coming as the one who will destroy the power of death, the only thing that can separate us, sin and death, from the presence of God. Jesus is coming to overcome those things. And so he comes, and in his coming as king, as prophet, as priest, he is coming to make it possible for us to be in the presence of God, for us to be reconciled to God, just as God planned in creation, and just as the whole story is pointing to in Revelation, this is what Jesus has come to do. And you say, man, I should really try to get my life together. No, that's not the calling of Jesus. If you are here this morning and you are desperately trying to get your life together, can I tell you that the Christian message is not about you getting your life together? It's about giving your life to the Lord, of saying, Jesus has done for me what I could never do for myself. Left to ourselves, we can never deal with our own sin and we can never overcome the power of death. But Jesus has done both of those. And so if you feel this weight of, man, if I was a better religious person, or if I had more to offer, or if I wasn't so messed up, then I could really be in the presence of God. If you feel broken and hurting, and like you don't have very much to offer, you're exactly where you need to be to respond to God's work in your life. You may have spent your whole life thinking, what I did in the past, there's no way God could ever deal with that. He could never have anything to do with me. But he's drawing you to himself, and he's saying, yes, I have dealt with that. I have made it possible for you to be reconciled with me, for you to be in my presence, not because of what you'll do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And so when we wrap up here in just a few minutes at the end, if you need to pray with someone, if you need to talk with someone about your relationship with God, don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without talking to someone about what it means to be made right with God. But here's the second part we want to ask. On top of us responding to Jesus, here's a good question to ask yourself. How do I know that Jesus is at work in my life? What does it look like when Jesus comes into a city or comes into a church or comes into a person's life, this is where this story is so amazing. There are two signs that Jesus is working in a person's life or Jesus is working in a church. Holy prayer and childlike praise. I'm gonna slow us way down at this point because this is so important. How do I know that God is working in my life. What does it look like for God to work in a church or in a group of people? Is holy prayer taking place, meaning I'm seeking to cry out to the Lord and I'm seeking to live in a way that honors him, I'm trusting him, and childlike praise, I'm just constantly celebrating th things that God is doing around me and things that God's doing in my life. 
Those are the two signs of God's work in your life from these passages. Which means, over the next several weeks preparing for Christmas, is my life characterized by holy prayer? Is it characterized by childlike praise? Do those things come out of me as a result of encountering Jesus? What gets in the way of that? Pride and passivity. Pride, this idea of I've got it all together or I need to hold it all together. And, and, and then the dangerous forms, pride starts to look like bitterness or, or pride starts to look like I'm bothered when I see God working in other people's lives because they're getting in the way of what I want to see happen. Or this idea of passivity that, you know, I come and I listen, and I'm okay with church. Church doesn't bother me, and being a Christian doesn't bother me. I, I'm glad to be identified as a Christian, but really I don't want to do much more than that. I, I'm okay with just listening. I'm okay with just being. No, God is calling us to respond, and the, the response looks like prayer for all people, and it looks like praise to him. And here's the funny thing about this. Not funny in the ha-ha way, but funny in the sad way. The challenges that we face with prayer and praise, they actually get harder the longer you're a Christian or, or the older you get. One of the coolest signs of God's grace in a person's life is that as they get older, they become gentler, more joyful, more driven to prayer and to praise, as opposed to as we are a Christian longer, as we get older, we become grumpier, <laughs> we become more critical, we pray less, we sing less, we celebrate less. A sign of God doing a cool work in a person's life and in a church is when we are driven to prayer and when we are driven to praise because of all the things we see God doing around us. Prayer and praise are driven when we understand the victory of Jesus, what he has done and our hope is in him. Prayer and praise are driven by times in God's word. We read the word and we respond with prayer and praise. Prayer and praise are driven when we gather together as a church and we do these things together. So what I want to do in, in the simplest way possible is just give you some very specific things that you can do to think about prayer and praise in, in the coming days. A couple of quick things to think about. Think about how you start the day, how you end the day, and what you do in those very few spaces you have in between as you're going from one activity or one place to, to another. What do I do in those times? When we wake up, when we go to bed, and we have those quick pauses in the middle of the day, God, draw me to prayer, draw me to praise. Beginning of the day, end of the day, spaces in the day, God, draw me to prayer, God, draw me to praise. Let your time reading the Bible drive your prayer and your praise. If you read the Bible, but you get frustrated because you say, you know what, I wish I understood what the Bible says. I really do try to read it, but, but man, I struggle with understanding it. Let me set you free this week on something. When you read the Bible, instead of getting tripped up or feeling unworthy because you don't understand what's going on, when you read the Bible this week, just, just pick one passage, read it, and then turn it around and pray it back to the Lord and praise him for something you see him do in your life. So you're not worried about understanding all the background. You're not understanding all the words. You're just saying, God, this is your word. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to pray it back to you. I'm going to express it to you, and I'm going to praise you for your work in my life. And as we do this on an ongoing basis, when we gather as a church, we find ourselves participating 
and what's happening in a really unique way because when we get together, it's like an overflow of what God has already been doing in our lives. I know this never happens to you, but just in case it does, let me give you another little thing to follow. If you're in a worship service or a Sunday school class or you're gathered with some people and people are praying and you get distracted and your mind starts to wander in a hundred different directions when other people are praying, I know you don't have any experience at this, but I am quite the champion uh, at this. Uh, Other people are praying and my mind is going a hundred different ways. Here's the cool thing. One of the ways we learn to pray and to praise God is by doing that along with others. So when someone is praying and you find yourself tending to get very distracted, just pray what they're praying along with them. Probably it's going to be better quietly in your head than actually out loud. But but you understand this is the gift of the word amen. As people are praying, you're, you're offering your affirmation, you're offering your agreement, you're saying, yes, Lord, that is true. When you're in a worship gathering or you're in a class and people are praying, find yourself praying with them, saying, yes, Lord, that's true. Yes, Lord, I believe that. Yes, Lord, do that. You're, you're continuing to stay engaged as we, as we gather and, and, and praise God together. And here's the other thing that we do. We gather at times like this, and we gather around the taking of the Lord's Supper, Because let's be honest, we are an easily distracted people, (laughs) and we need to be reminded of what God has done in our lives. When kids come and they talk to me about baptism, I ask them, how many times are you baptized in your life? And they'll tell me, one time. And then I'll ask them, how many times do you take the Lord's Supper? And they'll kind of look at me because they're really unsure, and I'll tell them, I hope it's hundreds of times. I hope it's thousands of times. Because what you believe and what God has done in your life, the gift of the Lord's Supper is that when we gather as the church, we are reminded of what God has done in our lives and what God has done in the people around us. And you know what that does? It drives us to pray, and it drives us to praise. And it kills our pride. And there's no way we can be passive because every one of us are involved in this together. So that's what we're going to do right now. If you're helping with the Lord's Supper, if you would begin to move to one of these tables, table here in the front, a couple back there in the landing, those of you that are helping, if you would begin to move there. As these folks get to these tables, and don't wait for my prompt, but as soon as you get to the table and your group is ready, if you would go ahead and begin to pass those out, I know you'll want to make sure you have your people around, but once you're there, if you would begin to to pass those elements out. As these elements come around, I want you to know that there are two cups stacked together. So be sure you take both cups. One's going to have the the cracker. The other's going to have the juice. Hold those cups. We're going to have verses playing on the screen, and then we're going to have a chance to take those elements together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or you have little kids with you who have not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, just pass that to the next plate. There's a person, there's no embarrassment, there's no reason to feel ashamed. This is a a celebration. This is an understanding, a reminder of what God has done in our lives. So let's begin to pass these out. We're gonna have some verses on the screen for us to be able to meditate on together. I pray that this would be a reminder of God's work in your life and that during this time, you would be in prayer and you would be praising God for all the things that he's done. Let's have this time together.
So what we saw in God's word this morning is that when Jesus came and he's coming into the city, he's coming as the one who's going to give his life for us. He's going to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that in our sin, the penalty of that is death, that we are separated from God, but because of what he has done for us, we have hope of being restored to God through Jesus Christ. And so as we gather now, we remember that. It destroys our pride that says that my life depends upon me. We're not gonna be passive because we're participating together. We're remembering God's goodness. We come in a time of prayer, a time of praise, to remember how good the good news of Jesus really is. Paul told the people in Corinth that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take and eat together. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand. We're going to do that together as we've seen right now. It's not my life to live. It's not my song to sing. All I have is His. For all eternity. It's not my righteousness. Glory. 
to celebrate that together. Hope as you're leaving, you'll grab some of those meal bags and some meal tickets. If you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to talk to, now's the time. We're right here at the front. We'd love to do that. God bless you. Have a great week.